Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Forward Curve. Hello and welcome to The Forward Curve, the weekly podcast covering the commodity markets and the global economy. Brought to you by Gold Street Advisors, the independent research and advisory firm. In this episode, we'll be reviewing the big topics discussed by the major players in the manufacturing, investment, and metal producer sectors during last week's London Metal Exchange Week, an annual event hosted by the world's premier industrial metals market, the LME. I'm Christian Klavadecher, and joining me will be our chief analyst, Robin Barr. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Forward Curve. And be sure to check out our website, www.goldstreetadvisors.com, for information on what Gold Street Advisors can do for you and your company. So Robin, another LME week is in the books, though it surely was not the typical affair it's known to be. Tell us about it. What were the highlights? Thanks, Christian. LME week, the gathering of participants from the global metals and mining industry met virtually last week in many webinars and Zoom calls. Unfortunately, there wasn't the jamboree of cocktail parties, dinners, and late-night clubbing. In this week's podcast, let's discuss a post-mortem on LME Week 2020 and the main conclusions that emerged. So let's start off with what the general sentiment about the state of the markets was. Uh, I'm sure People are terribly excited about what's going on, but you know what were the, what's the sentiment and what are the remedies to what's ailing the markets now? Yeah, I, I would characterize it as as mixed. You know, as expected, the economies are pretty stagnant apart from from China, but there are some uh, glimmers of of light. Uh, you know, as we've seen, the global economic fallout from the pandemic continues to plague supply chains across the manufacturing and industrial sectors. And while recovery remains top of the agenda, continued fiscal stimulus and labour market strength are the keys to stabilising the global economy. It's very clear that with the reopening of economies and with the help of fiscal policy stimulus put in place by central banks and governments around the world, we have already seen a considerable bounce back in economic activity. We're still some way below pre-pandemic levels, uh, around 4 to 5% of GDP, and it's already clear that the pace of improvement has started to falter, so uh, somewhat concerning. The plunge in global GDP in the second quarter was about twice as big as we saw at the depths of the 2008-2009 financial crisis. But the fallout, surprisingly, in trade was actually much smaller. And in fact, we've seen quite a good bounce back in trade. That again is this differing mix between goods-related demand, which has bounced back as economies have reopened, and services-related demand. Think about restaurants, dry cleaning, remain closed. So if downside risks materialise, We'll get more asset purchases by the central banks. And if bond yields rise, well, we don't rule out the possibility of the Fed implementing yield curve control. So uh, something to keep interest rates low as uh, they continue to be. So a concept that seems to have emerged in the financial press recently is that of ESG, 
which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance Metrics. Uh, is this something that people in the metals business were discussing at all last week? Yes, G. It had become an increasingly hot topic for the mining industry and is seen as not just a gimmick uh, and was one of the key underlying themes running throughout last week. The need for renewable energy, low carbon production methods, including local supply chains, were being thrust to the top of investors and the industry's agendas as the world grapples with the coronavirus pandemic. In fact, the LME had a sustainability panel at its uh, virtual metal seminar last Monday, where they had industry um, experts talking about how the metals industry can be sustainable and basically meet the decarbon and energy transition agenda that's being set by governments around the world. My goodness, that is really quite a sea change. Now, I can certainly see how that applies to the methods used to produce metals, like uh, aluminum in particular, but of course the other metals too. How about the roles metals play uh, in other sectors? Interesting. Um, more than one trillion worth of, of uh, dollar investment will be needed in key energy transition metals, so aluminium, cobalt, copper, nickel, and lithium over the next 15 years, just to meet the growing demands of decarbonisation. Now, this is almost double the figure invested over the previous 15 years. <laughs> so a heck of a lot of uh, investment needed. Put simply, the energy transition starts and ends with metals. If you want to generate, transmit, or store low or no carbon energy, you need metals. The industry finds itself at the same crossroads it has been at before. The short-term outlook is generally poor with the deteriorating market fundamentals, perhaps with the exception of copper, maybe tin, albeit as a result of a global pandemic rather than over-exuberant investment in supply. Importantly, can producers position themselves for investment in new supply, not just to offset mine depletion, but also for growth in conventional and energy transition markets? Can they decarbonize and navigate the increasingly complex minefield of the ESG landscape and deliver the returns expected? We shall have to wait and see. Mm. So what was the sentiment on the supply-demand landscape for metals going forward, Robin? New battery metals will soar over the next four years, nickel, lithium, cobalt, while more traditional metals, aluminum, zinc perhaps, will be relatively flat, according to uh, CRU, uh, a research consultancy. A combination of factors will drive strong adoption of electric vehicles or EVs next year. There are a lot of new EV models that were introduced in the second half of this year that are seeing some decent sales. For example, BMW i3 or VW's ID Spot 3. Uh, and you may well have seen these out on the roads. As these continue to ramp up and get to a steadier level that will continue to show through in sales in 2021. We think this will lead to a pretty robust year for EV sales and are likely to make up around 3.3% of total car sales this year, rising to around 4.4% next year. 
at the same time, strong stimulus programs and introduction of fines on carbon dioxide emissions in Europe will continue to be notable factors in the EV market. Robin, what was the view for demand growth? Uh, Surely we have nowhere to go but up at this point. Clearly the case if one were living in, uh, in China. But outside of China, we're seeing growth in Europe and the U.S., having to really resurge, if you like, if current upward demand and price momentum that we're seeing in base metals is to be sustained. So for copper to be holding above the $3 per pound level, equivalent to about $7,000 per tonne, then we would need growth outside of China to be picking up. The IMS optimism for global GDP growth is driven by China rather than elsewhere. To get to the next level, next level of demand, we need stronger growth from the US and Europe, which could sustain the current trend. But that doesn't look likely, certainly for now. China demand is looking strong uh, in terms of old-fashioned infrastructure spending, real estate investment, and so on. So we expect aggressive renewable infrastructure policy to come out of China's 14th five-year plan that is currently being discussed and reviewed in Beijing as we speak. Okay, very good. So which metal or metals would be most in demand in a renewable energy transition? Well, let's say that I think most metals are likely to be winners. They're all going to gain. But The belief, certainly um, touted last week, is that copper is going to be an integral green metal that will power the renewable energy revolution as the world transitions from traditional sources such as coal. Copper was clearly the darling of the market last week and should continue to be the case as the world aims to build back in a sustainable manner after the pandemic. Its move higher was being powered by a handful of reasons, including targeted Chinese stimulus, also U.S. stimulus on an unprecedented scale, increased demand for the renewable sector and issues on the supply side, i.e. mine lockdowns in South America, uh, Central Africa. The changing energy mix was largely positive for all metals, but particularly copper, which is used in electrical wiring. Also, copper has the highest probability of supply deficits over the coming years. Mm, Great. So uh, how about nickel? You know, we've talked quite a bit about nickel recently. Nickel was another metal to benefit from EVs and the batteries needed to power them. For now, though, nickel demand from batteries is dwarfed by demand from stainless steel. So 5% out of total demand coming from batteries as opposed to 80% coming from stainless steel. Nickel's price upside will be capped as a result by market surpluses both this year and next year. Another metal, tin, often the forgotten critical metal. This has a role to play in what we can term the fourth industrial revolution. That is the coming whirlwind of machine-to-machine communication, the Internet of Things, and artificial intelligence, or AI. An MIT study concluded that tin would have the most to gain from new technology and the four megatrends of EVs, 
renewable energy, advanced robotics, and advanced computation and IT. China is expected to include tin in a stockpiling program for strategic commodities in its next five-year plan beginning in 2021. So tin is the, um, the one to go for. So the next dinner party you're going to or holding, mention tin. Gotcha. Okay, so we've got copper, nickel, and tin. How might the other metals fare? The other metals may be less favoured, still going to be winners, but maybe not as much as uh, copper, tin, nickel. So things like aluminum, lead, zinc, um, they're characterised for the time being and likely to stay that way from oversupply and high inventories. Lead was seen as a laggard of the whole complex. Um, it has a lack of a longer term buzz factor, uh, leaving it as the pariah for investors. <laughs> Lead demand is dominated by batteries for internal combustion engines uh, and battery storage. So that's where uh, demand is going to diminish. That said, EVs use a lead battery for non-drive functions. So maybe lead is not dead. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Okay. So uh, moving on to somewhat lighter topics, how about the LME, the London Metal Exchange itself? You know, was there any talk about reopening the LME itself or uh, as in the actual trading floor or the ring as it's called? The LME's uh, trading floor, the so-called ring, uh, is not expected to reopen until after the difficult winter. So perhaps March 2021 at the earliest, unless there is a change in technological innovation. And in the meantime, refinements to the screen-based electronic pricing system, where liquidity essentially has been uh, transferred to, that's going to continue basically being uh, the LME rather than the traditional ring. Right. So the exchange alluded to a, quote, change in technological innovation, uh, end quote, that might keep the ring from reopening. A am I reading too much into that? Or might the LME finally be looking at closing the ring for good? You know, the same way nearly all other open outcry commodity exchanges have long since been replaced by online platforms. An interesting question. I think if you were um, uh, playing devil's advocate, reading between the lines, whatever, you would think that the exchange does have a secret plan and agenda to close the floor. It is an expensive venture. It's the only open outcry in Europe that's left. And um, some of the brokers that are floor traders, they've been cutting down the size of their teams. Uh, and I think they know secretly that maybe the trading floor will close and be replaced by online platforms. Personally, I would hate if the ring were to close and we were all to be wedded to online platforms. It strikes me that the question of whether the LME ring will continue to exist was being asked by market participants more than a decade ago. And I'm surprised that now in 2020, the question is still an open one. Starting out as a broker myself back in the mid-90s, I became more than a little familiar with the LME ring's efficiencies and inefficiencies, and I also saw how electronic trading of base metals ushered in by the launch of the LME Select platform in early 2001 proved not to be quite as transparent and efficient as was hoped for, seeing as we will forever be locked in a the LME ring is dead, long live the LME ring paradigm. 
I'd like to thank Robin for his valuable analysis and perspectives. And of course, I want to thank you for joining us. Please be sure to subscribe to The Forward Curve on your favorite podcast platform. You can also visit our website, www.goldstreetadvisors.com, for more information about Gold Street Advisors and the services we provide. Join us next week for more analysis and insight into the commodity markets and the global economy. I'm Christian Clavidecher, and on behalf of the Gold Street Advisors team, I thank you for listening. And remember to always keep an eye and ear on the forward curve.